Jimbo Paris, and you are listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. All right, how's it going, everyone? This is Jimbo Paris. Welcome to the Jimbo Paris Show, and today we have Dr. Lena Osuski, Senior Engineer and also the Onshore Wind Platform Leader at GE Research. That's quite the mouthful, but, you know, she sounds very successful, and I definitely want to learn more about her. All right. How's it going? Hi. How are you? Good, good. So can you kind of give me a bit of a gist of what you specifically do? Oh, I, I wear a lot of hats. The senior engineer that you mentioned in my title, that's that's sort of my, my quote-unquote official title. I am a thermal engineer, so mm. I work on an array of different cooling technology solutions for different products that GE makes from aircraft engines to industrial gas turbines to wind turbines. The onshore wind platform leader role is kind of a side hustle. We, we do a lot of work for GE Renewables, now Vernova, GE Vernova, here at the Research Center. And that work is divided into many segments of the renewable space. So there's onshore wind, offshore wind, hybrids, grid, hydro, services, and blades. So we have a business program manager who is our link between the research center and the renewables business. And she has a bunch of us platform leaders who support her to help manage each of those segments. So I manage the onshore wind program portfolio. So I work with all of the different project leaders at the research center who are doing technology development programs for onshore wind. So it's very you know, exciting. I, yeah, sounds very cool. And how long have you sort of been in this industry now? So I've been at the research center for eight years. I came here straight out of grad school. So this was my first grown up job. I, I landed here. It was a, a bit of a, a random stroke of luck where they, they happened to be hiring. At the time I was in Canada, I didn't know a whole lot about GE at the time. And uh, my husband and I were both graduating within a couple of months of each other. And he actually found the open postings and he <laughs> he actually applied and got in first. And I followed a couple of months behind him when I wrapped up my own Ph.D. That's really cool. So your family's Canadian, Canadian on my mother's side, Spanish on my father's side. But I was born and raised in Victoria, B.C., Canada. So I saw you had a guest recently from Vancouver. So pretty, <laughs> pretty close to my hometown. I think you may have half answered this a bit before, but how did you become sort of a senior engineer? It's one of those things that I, d I didn't plan. A s I don't have a, a designated kind of chart in my mind of what roles I'm going to have at what times. It's sort of been a process of even since my undergraduate degree, I've been sort of taking opportunities as they come. I tend to try and get better about saying yes to things that scare me a little bit. I, I did tend to be more cautious in my younger years, especially when it came to taking on new challenges that I was afraid I was not fully qualified for. It's, it's not like I want to necessarily fake it till I make it, but I tend to undersell myself sometimes. And I, I think that's true of a lot of women, probably men too, but I've, I've seen a lot of women be less confident if they meet, you know, all but one requirement on a, on a job posting. So I've been trying to get better at, you know, trying to keep that inner panic in the back of my head and, and take on new challenges. So in my undergrad years, I focused on mechanical engineering. And as I was wrapping that up, 
at the time I thought I wanted to be a professor and do academic research actually through, through a connection of my, my now husband, we were, we were dating at the time, but he was working for a faculty member at the university of Victoria who had a connection at the university of Toronto Institute for aerospace studies. And I thought, wow, that sounds amazing. And I've, I've always been interested in space and flight technologies. So I decided to apply. My husband and I both applied separately and both got in without our thesis, thesis advisor understanding that there was a connection between us. So he didn't know we were a package deal, which was, that was important to me. I didn't want him to think that we had to go together. So we would have managed either way, but as luck and fate would have it, we both got in. As we proceeded, you know, we started at the master's level and there was an opportunity to do a direct transfer to a PhD, which I took because again, at that time, I thought I wanted to be a professor. As I started to get towards the last year or two of my PhD, I started to realize that wasn't the right path for me. I still wanted to do research, but I realized I wanted to do maybe something a little bit more product ready, something more applied. And that's when I found, that's when we started looking at these more industrial research roles that were in the US. And, and that's how we landed here. And then once we got here, it's just been a question of, you know, what projects are of, of priority and interest to the different GE businesses at any given time. When I started, I was a lot into um, heat transfer analysis for our industrial gas turbines. So I was looking at uh, turbine blade cooling designs for our 7HA and 9HA gas turbines. Then from the, a couple of years of that, I switched over to renewables. Uh, I was looking at some different cooling technologies for generators and converters for onshore and offshore wind. And I think that's ultimately what led to my platform leader role a few years later. And yeah, I started as an entry level research engineer, got promoted to lead a couple of years later. And, you know, after, after taking on certain program leadership roles, particularly with one of my government programs, that's what led to my promotion to senior. You're part of the thermal science group, right? Yes. Now, now, forgive me if this is a bit of a basic question, but what is that? Thermal sciences are the science of heat transfer, basically moving, spreading, and storing heat. So you can you can understand that GE makes a lot of things that are hot. The, the hotter you run things, the more efficient they get. But you're often limited by materials or other other performance metrics that kind of keep you from operating at your maximum possible efficiency. So in the never-ending quest to eke out more and more efficiency from our products and our systems we like to make them hotter <laughs> and the hotter you run them the more creative you have to get with how you cool them so we're looking at all sorts of uh, ways to move and spread and store that heat recover that heat to get the best performance out of our products you know you've, you've spent a lot of years at ge what are some of your most sort of notable experiences whether that be you know more personal more career-oriented, what would you consider it to be? I had a moment recently, a couple of months ago, I was at, a, at the ARPA-E Energy Innovation Summit in Denver back in May. And while I was there, out of the 300 some odd projects that were on display in the exhibition hall, they picked, I think something like six of them to do a sort of walkthrough tour with uh, the Energy Secretary of the, of the United States, Jennifer Granholm. So that, that was a huge honor for me. So I found myself standing behind a table with my additively manufactured heat exchanger. I was there with my 
co-principal investigator, Laura Dial, who's, uh, who's here at the Research Center as well. And then we've got the Secretary of Energy, also a woman, standing in front of this thing that I've made. And I thought, huh, I started with a mechanical background. Then I came to GE with a background in aerodynamics and numerical optimization. And I'm sitting here or standing here talking to the U.S. Energy Secretary about additive manufacturing. How on earth did I get here? <laughs> but it's been it's been a really amazing journey. And again, because I've been trying to keep myself open to taking on opportunities that that would kind of grow my expertise or push me into new areas. That's how I ended up leading this government funded program to demonstrate what we can do with additive manufacturing uh, as a as a with th you know thermal ma thermal management devices as we call them. So something that can move heat in this case. So it's been quite a ride. That was that's probably one of my biggest career highlights so far. I hope one of many. Well, you kind of have a way where you can create a network of the people that you want. Like you notice, like when you were talking about oh how you want, you have the ability to kind of surround yourself with a network of the people that you were interested in, which was successful women in your area or in science. So my question here is. How did you gain the ability to control your network? To really get outside of just my thermal team and, and kind of grow my network into other technical disciplines, I ended up joining the GE Women's Network. And that introduced me to people in areas that I only could kind of scratch the surface in terms of my knowledge, you know, materials scientists and, and um, you know, added people that are involved in additive design and additive manufacturing, biological sciences, all kinds of things. It helped me even grow my, my program leadership skills kind of through these extracurricular events. And I think that that prepared me really well to actually take on the leadership of technical programs as I'm, as I'm doing now. So now when I start up a, a new program or get selected to, to head up a program, I, I have a network of people that I can put together. Oh, I definitely need someone who's experienced with high temperature alloys. I know who to talk to. I need someone who can design a cutting edge additively manufactured heat exchanger. I know who to talk to about that. Over the over the years, reduced my degrees of separation between me and the people I need to form a successful team. Excellent, excellent. And where did this whole passion sort of begin? Before GE, before even college, where did this, you know, love of what you do begin? Oh, I think even in elementary school, I loved all of the sciences, math, physics, mm. chemistry. So I knew I wanted to do something with that as I, as I started to get closer to picking a college major. And ultimately I picked engineering because I couldn't pick one specific subject. Like I, I couldn't pick physics over chemistry or I, I couldn't pick pure math over any of the other more applied sciences. And I thought of engineering as, a, as an ability to put all of that together and, and apply it to a bunch of different problems. So that's, and that ultimately ended up being what I liked about coming to GE and working here because I can take my expertise in different aspects of, of thermal technologies and I can apply it to a wind turbine, I can apply it to a jet engine, I can apply it to an additive heat exchanger, whatever I like. Great, and you know, um, I'll be real with you, I don't think most kids are that deeply into science or that good at science as you were. But when you're that young, was it difficult sort of developing in the sciences? Was it as easy as, 
was it easy for you? And did other kids sort of have an issue with you sort of being better at them in that specific area? Um, not really. I mean, I went through one year of torture in seventh grade where I was so heavily bullied that my mom mm. used to take me out of school one day, one day every month or so just to give me a break. But I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that I mean, that was a one off. And in the end, I was I, I actually ended up changing school districts for middle school. So I basically just started fresh. And that was that was a new start for me. I met other kids that, you know, they, they didn't ostracize me because I was smart. They were smart, too. And uh, I'm, I'm still friends with some of those people to this day. We've been friends since we were 13 in eighth grade. So in general, I haven't really had any issue. I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm better than, than anyone else. Um, I'm, I'm certainly intelligent and I've, I've liked to put myself in places where I can spend time with people who are smarter than I am in areas that are not my area of expertise and, and try mm. to learn from them. Great. Great. And sort of outside of GE, what, what do you sort of do? Like, besides sort of work-related tasks? Yeah, outside, outside of work, I'm a mom. I, I had hobbies at one point and I'm trying to get some of those back, but right now there's only so many hours in the day and I need to sleep for at least a few of them. But I have, uh, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and they keep me very busy, all the energy of a healthy child. So you enjoy running, playing the piano, reading a book? Yes, those are things I like to do with those few that five minutes a day that I have. I try to run once a week with a friend of mine who has kids the same age, and it's that that's our our break from being moms. I need that. I do love to read. I should read things that are good for my brain, but I tend to read kind of fluffy novels. And uh, I play. I do play the piano. I've been playing piano since I was a kid. My my son, my six year old, is starting to learn how to play the piano and the electric guitar because his okay. idol is is Freddie Mercury, and I I love that about him, and I want to encourage that. So now we're both learning to play the electric guitar. So I noticed you play the piano. He's doing the electric guitar. Is this sort of a family of musicians in a way? It could be. My three-year-old's starting to show interest. She'll, she'll, she'll pound the key. She tells me she wants to be a drummer, so we could potentially okay. put together a family band. We'll put my husband on percussion. All right. All right. Well, that sounds like a plan. So you're a senior engineer, so most people would assume that you sort of just spend all the time of your day working. But from what I can understand, you know, you're a wife, you're a mom, and you're also an engineer. Yes. How do you juggle all three of those things in your position in a business? Because I think most people would think that is not possible. It's never perfect. I, I, I make the statement sometimes that I, I can't say I've achieved true balance, but I'm learning to manage the imbalance. <laughs> so there are times that I will, um, you know, I'll need to leave work early or, you know, say no to something because I've got a commitment with one of my kids, you know, I got to take them to the doctor or where they're at home isolating or I'm volunteering at an event at their school. And then there's other times I won't be able to do something with my kids because I need to get some extra work done or, you know, I'm trying to write a report that just needs a few more hours, that kind of thing. So I try to make it so that I'm, I always, sac I, I tend to sacrifice one thing for the other, but I try to trade that off in fairly equal measure so that one's not getting unfair advantage. So not perfect, but it's a, it's a day by day kind of thing. 
what tips would you give to people that are your age that want to have the career that you have now? I would say keep an open mind. I, th I think what's helped me the most to get to where I am is to take on these opportunities. You know, additive is not a space I ever thought I would be working in. Sometimes I wonder how I got here. It was definitely not a linear path from mechanical and aerodynamics and aerospace to additive manufacturing, but it's, we're seeing additive manufacturing as part of a broader ecosystem. So I, I think just a willingness to talk to people, listen to experts in different fields, see what opportunities are out there and where you can make an impact. That, that's where, where I would start. And I've gotten braver over the years at, at asking those questions rather than trying to keep myself in a bubble and try to figure things out on my own. Do you sort of see your kids doing the same thing that you're doing? It's hard, hard to say. My, my son, he has some of the engineering skills. He loves to build and he's a, he's a problem solver. He's unfortunately a perfectionist like I was, and it was I was well, you know, well into my 30s before I could just stop beating myself up over things that weren't coming out perfectly. So I'm hoping I can, you know, nail that down a little bit younger for him and save him some grief. But he loves music too. He tells me he wants to be a performer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna happily support both sides of his brain and see where that takes him. I'm I'm not gonna. I don't want to push him in one direction, especially because he's only six. You know, he loves mm. sports, loves music, he loves science. So I'm happy to let him jump around and just try lots of stuff because that's what you should do when you're a kid. My daughter's really into books. She she loves to build as well. She loves cars. That's my girl. Well, we'll see where where her passions lie. It's it's still a little too early to tell. But yeah, they're they're both they're both a blast and they're pretty smart. Well, again, you know, I I really respect that too. You know, allowing your kids to kind of pursue the the passion that they want to follow you know yeah how do you think it's possible to get people interested in science in a way where it doesn't feel like they're doing something that they don't want to do well i think science is inherently fun i mean there's all sorts of interesting ways to explore the world and even you know helping show my kids you know they they get these little kits sometimes that have these experiments and the, the best one so far i mean there's the sort of basic ones like the you know the volcano with with vinegar and baking soda i mean that's a classic the kids love that but there was one we did recently where you could take two kind of pop bottles and the kit had a little connector between the two so you could basically screw two of them together and you'd fill one of them with water and you would flip it and the water would basically stay in the top of the the bottle and once you started swirling it, it would create a tornado that would then cycle down into the bottom bottle. They did that for hours. So I think the, the key to getting people interested in science is from a young age, just show them how fun it can be to do yeah. it. That, that's very interesting. Why do you think nowadays a lot of people feel pushed away from science? Why does it not seem so fun? But it's amazing to people like you. I think the key to just getting more people away from thinking science is this boring thing is giving the giving the people who are teaching kids science the resources to make it fun for them you know that little that little cap fixture i mean you can get bottles out of the recycling bin that plastic cap fixture can't be that expensive to make or buy give them a bunch of things like that or, or you know send them subscriptions for you know the science kit subs subscription boxes we've had so much fun at home with those types of things 
And mm. we're very fortunate to be able to have the resources to provide that for schools that can't give those to all the kids in their schools. Um, I think that's that's somewhere where we could have a huge impact in growing, you know, a generation of kids that are interested in in science. Now, this has been an excellent interview and kind of just to ask you one last thing, if you can kind of go back in time and speak to your younger self, what would you tell her? I think I would tell her to try and get out of her own head. I, I think I, I could have had a lot more fun in my 20s and, and just not been so stressed. I was so stressed about grades and having everything perfect. I never really stopped to think that, well, I can still have an impactful career if I get a B plus or God forbid, a B minus or a C plus, I, I can still have a, a successful and rewarding career and impact lots of people and products. To kind of set the expectation that when you're out in the world, nothing is perfect. Even the programs I'm leading now, I've had to rescope things. I've had to cut, cut scope out. I've had to readjust when things don't work. None of this is gonna go perfect the first time. That's a unicorn. <laughs> that just does not happen. You're gonna work on stuff. And zero of those things are going to go perfectly the first time. And it's fine. You know, with your work family life, what are some things you still strive to do and kind of improve? I think just trying to maintain that balance of, of kind of being present when I'm in one place versus the other. That's been particularly hard when I was working from home more, you know, th this week for sure in the early days of the pandemic when the kids were home. I'm trying to be my work self at work and my family self at home, some days I'm better at that than others. That's something I'm still working on. It's it's hard to just shut off the work at the end of the day, especially if I've had a rough day, like I, I got nailed in a design review or just got some rough feedback that I'm still processing. Uh, it happens and it's hard to just shut that off, pick up my kids and be like, hey guys, how was your day? Everything's fine. So are there any sort of Final words, any sort of concluding words you'd like to say? You definitely answered a lot of my questions, but are there any other things you'd like to point out or say? Um, I think we I think we covered everything. I, I, I hope that some of my personal and professional experiences will have resonated with your listeners, you know, especially if they're in a certain point in their careers or in their in their personal lives. I, I think there's a lot of struggles on, on both the personal and the professional side that I don't think are unique to just me. And as with the anxiety, I think the more we talk about it and normalize it, the more we, it, it helps lessen the, the worry over it to just like, oh, okay, it's out in the open. Well, thank you, Lena. I love this interview. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being a guest on your show. Thanks for inviting me. Definitely. All right. So, we're gonna to have to do a few quick shout outs here. The first shout I'd like to give out is to our special sponsor, LifeWork Systems. She's our affiliate partner and basically her goal is to kind of create and form a more collegial environment. And she's essentially an HR superstar. She works in HR businesses to sort of improve their infrastructure, which therefore can help other businesses improve their infrastructure as well. We've got a YouTube channel, subscribe now to that. We have a Roku channel now. All of my episodes are on Roku. This will be on Roku as well. So check us out when it gets out there too. I'm Jimbo Paris. This is the Jimbo Paris Show. Thank you for listening to the Jimbo Paris Show. 